0: is Moving Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn. With me, as always, is Mitch. Mitch, how about you say hi?
1: Hello, everyone. This is Mitch Kukulka, uh community editor for Central Michigan Life and lovable sidekick of Brent Gunn.
0: So today, we're talking about overrated and underrated filmmakers. And before we really dive in, we should probably set up some parameters for what we mean by uh, overrated and underrated. With uh, overrated, we're not saying that these directors are horrible, hack filmmakers with nothing to offer. And with underrated, we're not saying that they're, you know, perfect filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, we're more or less just kind of talking about our own personal taste and hangups with these mm-hmm. directors and what we think are just – they're over-exaggerated in their importance or they're given more credit than we think they deserve. Mm-hmm.
1: And underrated – the whole underrated and overrated dichotomy is really like – it's it can't be anything else than subjective. Like you can't really objectively say, oh, this is – this movie or this director or this artist is something that um, objectively isn't uh, given given more praise than it deserves. Yeah. Just And so this is always kind of like a landmine of a topic.
0: Yeah, because people are very, uh, and I'm the same way, I'm very, very passionate about the things that I like, very passionate about the things that I dislike. Mm-hmm. And when someone, you know, tramples over every, anything that I like, you know, it, it's a little irritating, I yeah. guess, but... Uh, Prepare to be irritated, everybody. Prepare to be irritated for this episode. So I think we should start with overrated mm-hmm. first. Just get all the negativity out of the way. Just get it out of our system.
1: Okay. Sounds like a good idea.
0: My first pick mm-hmm. for overrated is uh, it's got to be Wes Anderson.
1: <laughs> he was almost my first pick. When, when, when you first pitched <laughs> this to me, I almost was like, who – when the word overrated, when the word overrated comes to mind, and you're thinking of film directors, it, it's it's Wes Anderson. Like the it's the first one that comes to mind. And I I'm not necessarily agreeing 100 percent with Brent here, um, which we'll get to in a couple seconds. But I got to stretch for <laughs>
0: for what I'm what I'm gonna say. But um, yeah, Wes Anderson. I know I always said earlier that when i say someone's overrated i'm not saying that they're like a hack mm-hmm. horrible filmmaker <laughs> but wes anderson is a hack <laughs> by all all meanings of the word mm. he is a hack he is a guy who has a brand that he just sells repeatedly to these hipsters who just eat it up and they th- and no offense if you like wes anderson anyone in this room if you like wes anderson i'm not this is not directed at you this is directed at the uh the Phantom
1: at large, maybe.
0: Yeah, yes. this is this is dedicated to, like, the first semester film students <laughs> or the first semester art students who saw, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and they think they're, like, some aficionado on culture. Mm. Or they saw Moonrise Kingdom, and they think it's, like, this masterpiece, and they have posters mm. of Bill Murray on their wall, <laughs> and they've only seen Wes Anderson films with Bill Murray in them. They've never seen, like, Groundhog Day or mm-hmm. uh, What About Bob. Like, really, really good
1: yeah, you know, I, th- I feel like there's quite a lot of people that fit that description, not just among film majors, but, but against just people at college. From I'm speaking from personal experience. Yeah, I, I think that the big hangup I
0: have with Wes is it's not that I feel like there's nothing to get out of his films. Um, he does have a lot of talent when it comes to cinematography. Mm-hmm. My problem is it's a one-trick pony. Because if you've seen one Wes Anderson film, you've essentially seen every single yeah. one mm-hmm. to a T,
1: mm-hmm.
0: down to the quirky dialogue, to the centered cinematography, to the aspect ratio changes, to Bill Murray, mm-hmm. to all of these just quirky for the purpose of being quirky quirks. Mm-hmm. It,
1: if, if, if you're not sold on the brand- yeah. You're not going to care for the it. brand, the, a, a branding I think is like um, something you really have – is kind of what Wes Anderson boils down to. Like he has this – such a distinct style, such a very exact and like unique to himself um, niche appeal of uh, f- filmmaking that it's – it's a brand, really. Like it's see, I don't think it's so much a niche.
0: I think niche. it's training wheels. I think it's okay. he. He made uh, Rushmore, and he had this huge like mountain of success fall into his lap. Then he did uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it just seems like from then he thinks that he can just remake the same thing over and over, and every single time it's like unanimously praised as this like masterpiece. And I saw. Um, The Grand Budapest Hotel in theaters. I didn't hate the movie, but it was the first Wes Anderson movie I saw. Mm-hmm. So upon my first viewing, first Wes Anderson movie ever, I was like, you know, that really wasn't that bad of a movie. And it wasn't. That's probably the best Wes Anderson movie to date, I'd say.
1: I would agree. Like that's kind of like the one thing that's still like um – um Tying me down to like not being full, Brent Gunn against <laughs> Wes Anderson is that I really, really did like Grand Budapest Hotel, and I've liked most of what I've seen from him, um, with the exception of Royal Ten Bombs, which I very much did not like at or, all. Uh, the the Darjeeling
0: Limited, I had to turn mm-hmm. that off. <laughs> I was just so irritated. But <clears throat> after I saw Grand Budapest, I was like, I wonder, you know, what what are these other films that he's got? Because everyone's always raving them to me and recommending them to me. Watched him. I hate them all. (laughs) I haven't seen another Wes Anderson film that I can even tolerate or even mildly get into. Uh I have no idea why um, people fawn over him. I have no idea why he's considered groundbreaking, revolutionary, interesting. He's none of them. He's literally just, if urban outfitters could (laughs) uh, uh, take human (laughs) form— and grab, like, some crappy film camera that they found at Goodwill and just get all of their, like, I don't know, liberal arts friends together and go film in a park about just dumb relationships. It's like Mumblecore happened, like, a decade before Mm. (laughs) Wes Anderson was, like, super relevant, and all of those films are so much better. It's just—I feel like people that are, like, those diehard Wes Anderson fans— I feel like they've they've just started watching films, and they haven't found mm-hmm. other directors that are going to do things that are a bit more subversive than he does. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you first see Eraserhead. Yeah. You think it's like the most groundbreaking thing ever. But then you kind of expand and you watch more films, and while it's still good, it kind of pales. Mm-hmm. That That's how I
1: mm-hmm. feel about it. I feel like, yeah, Wes Anderson to me kind of seems like he's one – Part of like a very small handful of directors that get that that more people even outside of the film like fandom know like Spielberg, Tarantino, Nolan, Wes Anderson, and who are the closest that you can get to like household names. I think with film directors, um, I think because of that, they're a lot of people's uh, introduction to film in the same way that uh, Tarantino is or Christopher Nolan is for a lot of people. Like, and so that I think might be why he's he has such a large and um passionate fan base is for a lot of people uh wes anderson was um the introduction to this to the idea that films can be more than um, what's seen as like the typical Hollywood formula.
0: Yeah, he's he's the gateway drug to mm-hmm. independent cinema. He's the cheap weed of cin- <laughs> cin- cinema. He he's the Mount Pleasant weed of, of <laughs> cinema. No. Anyway, we should probably should just move on from that topic. But yeah, Wes Anderson. Um, I, you mentioned him with a uh, Nolan and Tarantino as household names. You're right. I don't think he has any business being anywhere near compared to people like Tarantino. You know, you know, yeah. I, I feel like in terms of a um, uh in terms of creativity, in terms of integrity, he has nothing on even people like Fincher
1: or even okay. people
0: like um, I'm trying to think of another director off the top of my head, even people like. Even George Lucas, I'm just gonna go mm-hmm. right out. I have more mm-hmm. respect for George Lucas as a creative, as you should, as I should. <laughs> Revert um, back to our uh,
1: prequel episode. Um, yeah, I get. I can see where you're coming from. I, I guess i I really, really did like Grand Budapest Hotel. That's why I'm gonna say yeah. I, and I think there is a degree of emotional depth to his movies that isn't just kind of like. Flash-in-the-pan, stylistic, um, um, rose-colored glasses. Like, oh, it's Wes Anderson, so it's good. I think there is um, – there can be um, some something more to his movies. Um, Grand Prix Bus Hotel is an example, I think, um, especially uh, towards the end. Um, when the storylines are wrapping up was um, something that I like really enjoy and I, I I wouldn't say it moved me I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie but I think oh that's a very well done emotional arcs yeah um, I think he can yeah when he kind of experiments within his own formula is when um, he can be a quality filmmaker but I was and I was just thinking about this today he and like you've said it um, better than I could he he has n- he almost never experiments with his films and he and he's kind of become shorthand again for this kind of like you said like introductory level of film analysis He's shorthand is like experimental filmmaking Ugh. because he's so just unorthodox compared to like the michael bayes and but like that's the- that's saying
0: that like like, that, that's really shooting low. Like, unorthodox compared to Michael Bay. I mean, Steven Spielberg's avant-garde compared to Michael <laughs> Bay, you know. But um, the thing with Anderson is, like, all of his films seem to center on familial tension, uh-huh. which I love films that deal with that. One of my favorite films is Squid and the Whale by Noah uh-huh. Baumbach. I feel like Wes Anderson's just, like, diet Noah Baumbach. But um, the the, the – difference between a film like Squin the whale and like royal tenenbaums is that while the characters in something like Squin the whale they do have their quirks it does kind of have those quirky kind of mid-2000s indie movie moments mm-hmm. but it never gets so separated from reality and its quirkiness and its uh kind of flamboyancy that mm-hmm. that you ever feel like you're watching caricatures of people because i don't really feel like i'm watching real people and I'm not. And not every film needs to have characters portraying real people realistically. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to tell a story about dysfunctional families, I get that you want them to be animated. But there gets to a point where I feel like all I'm seeing is what you know your fans want to see. Yeah. And when when I can detect that, I'm immediately turned off because it makes me feel like you have no personal integrity or personal direction. It's just what can I do to continue building the aesthetic of Wes Anderson and that that just doesn't interest me, you know?
1: yeah, I, I, I can see like exactly what you're talking about. I don't hate him quite as much. I, I don't hate the guy. He's probably I, a fine he's probably person. a
0: pleasant pleasant guy pleasant mm-hmm. guy. I, I would like to see him branch out. Yeah, definitely. but he definitely overrated. yeah, I think we both agree. With mm-hmm. that. So, uh, let's go to your first pick.
1: So, my first pick, um, I like how we kind of chose kind of our, the most inflammatory ones first. Yeah. Um, just going to go and say it, Woody Allen. I hate Woody Allen. I hate pretty much every film of his I've seen. And he's made, what, 40, 50 movies? Like 600. <laughs> he's made so many movies. And when I was thinking of ways of, like ways that I can express this— um, I went back to an article I read that was posted in the Washington Post um, but in early this January by the title of, uh, and it's by um, Washington Post writer Richard Morgan. The title, if any of you want to look at it, it's a, and it's like a really interesting read, It's the title is, I read decades of Woody Allen's private notes, period, and he's obsessed with teenage girls. And I'm just going to read like the first paragraph because this writer, Richard Morgan, puts his feelings for... Puts um, Woody Allen like on paper in a way that like yeah like exactly I, I was thinking yeah that's exactly it. and when I was thinking back this is exactly how I describe it right the head. Yep. this is exactly how <coughs> I describe Woody Allen so this is me reading from the article Woody Allen is wrapping up a new movie just kidding he doesn't make new movies what well, he's editing now A Rainy Day in New York about a college age love triangle could like any of his movies instead be titled A Woman Gets Objectified by a Man. This in his view is the pinnacle of art, its true its truest calling and highest purpose, especially when it involves young women who are compelled to lackluster men merely by the gravity of the man's access- obsession. <laughs> yeah. If I could just there's one sentence later down in the article. Alan, who has been nominated for twenty four Oscars, never needed ideas because the lecherous man and his beautiful conquest, a concept around he which a concept a concept around which he has made films about paris rome barcelona manhattan journalism time travel communist revolution murder writing thanksgiving dinner and hollywood and many other things because that one idea bore so much fruit for his career i think and so yeah that's exactly what, if i would describe woody allen he, he makes one movie. Like we used to say, oh, he has such a wide repertoire of films. He has made over 50 movies. There was periods like earlier in the decade where he made – he wrote and directed and a lot of times starred in um, one movie a year for like so long. He, he has one – he makes one movie. It's Woody Allen's stand-in get, is, gets infatuated with a woman. And like the article said the on uh, the woman becomes attracted to him purely because for whatever reason purely because woody allen is the writer and star and director and producer and key grip and editor and whatever for that movie we had to watch annie hall
0: mm-hmm. um, as did i last, that was last my
1: first uh, exposure
0: to woody allen in bca 101 my first was a uh, hannah and her sisters and i didn't care for that at all mm-hmm. annie hall Watching that was painful (laughs) because it has not aged well at all. And the thing about Woody Allen is at the time when he came out, like Annie
1: Hall was in the 70s, like 77 or 75. 77, I think it it won. It beat out the original Star Wars movie for Best Picture, which is. Yeah,
0: 1977. Yeah. So at that time. He was really inspired by a lot of what was going on with, like, French New Wave, and he was trying to do this whole American Renaissance. Uh-huh. And at the time, 1977, a film like Hannah and Her – I'm not Hannah and Her Sisters – Annie Hall would be seen as kind of, like, you know, groundbreaking to an yeah. extent. Um, the fourth wall breaks, the kind of – Ranting, sense of humor, the mm-hmm. kind of exhausting narrative that it has, and the yeah, exhausting man. performance of Alan. I understand the appeal. I do not like it. <laughs> I get the the caricature. I get the character. I get why it's funny. Like short, squirrely Hey, I'm Winnie mm-hmm. Allen. I'm uh. <laughs> like I I get it. I get it. I get that he talks a long time, and he. There's all these women that he he wants, but he can't have. But he wants them, but he can't have them. It's like <sighs> I don't care, and I don't dislike Woody Allen purely because of who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. I'm I subscribe more to the that separation. Yeah, that's a whole mm-hmm. other debate. You know, separating art from the artist. Yeah, but
1: with woody allen the art sucks so much it doesn't even matter and he doesn't even bother to separate the art from his personal life like that's so much of his art just seems like him just like putting on the page everything that he feels everything that he wants people to feel sorry for him um vicariously through his movies
0: and even films that he doesn't uh star in like midnight in paris or blue Mm -hmm. jasmine both both films are completely just standard movies. Yeah. If anyone else directed them, no one would care. But mm-hmm. because they have Woody Allen's name on them, it elevates them to some status, which Hollywood is deemed as valuable because Hollywood loves the blend, or loved the, the brand <laughs> of Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, Woody Allen just kind of encompasses that kind of self-righteous bohemian New Yorker yeah. shtick that People just eat up. If if, mm-hmm. if you film a film in black and white about quirky characters aimlessly wandering through New York, getting in these love triangles, getting in these dumb relationships in these squat houses with these uh, bohemian wannabe hipsters, people will just eat it up. They'll eat it up for the next hundred years, the same just regurgitated crap over mm-hmm. and over. And nothing turns me off more than just self-righteous New Yorkers making movies about. How great New York is, and how much of an adventure New York is. I've been to New York. <laughs> it's another city. It's just yeah. another city. Like, I mean, if
1: you're gonna do that, make it like Francis Ha, because because of Francis Ha. I straight up hated Francis Ha <laughs> for the longest
0: time. I that I hated yeah. that movie for years, and then it clicked mm-hmm. because the entire time you were like describing like the self-righteous
1: yeah. black guy I'm like I'm gonna say it I'm gonna say it
0: yeah and I, I still dislike a lot of things about Francis Ha mm-hmm. but I don't hate it nearly as much as I I kind of if it's on I'll watch it
1: I, like I can said, tolerate it like you said it clicks like it, ha- it has to click with you What's the first half
0: like the, the first half of that movie I tried watching so many times <laughs> and I had to turn it off because it was just painful but then when you see her character kind of fall apart and she kind of drops her whole shtick and kind of tries mm-hmm. to be a part of the real world outside of being a dancer in new york yeah it it almost feels like
1: it's making fun of films like woody allen's mm-hmm. to an extent i want to talk about francis Ha so much more i want to talk about woody allen but we had to we had to talk about, about Woody, allen. and so yeah black and white um woody allen movies in uh, new york i when, when i before i like Developed like a opinion on Woody Allen's filmography. I tried to watch as many of like these critically critically acclaimed movies as possible. Mm-hmm. I made it five minutes into Manhattan before I turned it off. Five minutes before Woody Allen's character is like, "Oh, uh, hum, I'm a 42 year old man dating a 17 year old." I'm like, mm, "No, <laughs> no, I am not. I'm bored for this." Even and like I said before, <clears throat> Woody Allen is a very casual. Controversial figure, um, it's and normally I I don't think the and like again like I said I don't think the separating art from the artist uh, narrative um debate applies to Woody Allen because it's it's it, that is his art that is his shit that is that is his brand is the old decrepit unattractive unlike unlikable unredeemable old man who wa- who wants to bang young women insert young skinny attractive mm-hmm. girl
0: and he it he like you root for him because he's that every man he's that you mm-hmm. know average guy who goes to the movie and they see themselves in Woody and they they relate and uh, the problem I have with Woody Allen is a lot of the same problems I have with Mel Brooks mm-hmm. where it was probably great for the time but with every single minute it just gets more and more dated yeah. Have you ever tried watching bananas? I haven't yet. It, no. That Woody Allen film that that's what the article was referencing. That film about the communist, communist revolution. revolution. That,
1: yeah, I look. I've looked into it. It's one of his screwball
0: it, yeah. comedies. That's another yeah. abysmal this <laughs> train wreck of a film because it's essentially Woody Allen trying to be as physically humorous as possible mm. for eighty nine like grueling minutes. <laughs> it's oh boy, Woody Allen. <laughs>
1: So yeah, and Hollywood and, and like kind of like the pop cultural like, consciousness is kind of catching up to Woody Allen and seeing for seeing him for what he is, um and kind of bringing this debate is like, um kind of like what happened with Bill Cosby is like, does this person, even though they laid so much of the groundwork of what pop culture is now, like, um can we really forgive them for like? What kind of person they are? I will go back and say Woody Allen never deserved a seat at the table. Never deserved to be mentioned um, again because he came into prominence during the '70s, during the uh, American New Wave, or the, sa- the same, um, the same.
0: Hollywood Renaissance. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, this the same era of Hollywood that saw like Francis Ford Coppola, Spielberg, Martin, really Spielberg, take off. Martin Scorsese, like all these legitimately great filmmakers. And Woody Allen does not deserve in any way, shape, or form as a writer, as a director, as anything to be even in the same conversation. As, as... someone like Scorsese? Yeah, definitely.
0: Definitely not. If you look mm-hmm. at a film like Goodfellas mm-hmm. and then look at any Woody Allen film, like <laughs> it's, it's literally night and day. Yeah. The level of artistry, the level of invention, the mm-hmm. level of just engrossment, and mm-hmm. the level of diversity. I mean, yeah. if you look at Scarce- um, Scorsese's filmography yes he has a lot of gangster films yes he does have a uh style that he likes to stick to mm-hmm. but i feel like he ha- has the ability to branch off mm-hmm. and do it successfully shutter this, island is fine yeah for, like, for anyone his, his
1: his recent work is like a very very much a testament to that i mean he did silence he did yeah. hugo shutter island um even Wolf of Wall Street was kind of returned to, like, Scorsese-ism was, a, was a very, is still—
0: Very Goodfellas-esque. Very,
1: very Goodfellas-esque, but still—it's um, still enough of its own story to, like, be um, mentioned as, like, a good film instead of a good—just a good Scorsese film.
0: Yeah. It's funny how you mentioned Bill Cosby because when all of the news with Bill Cosby broke out, I remember going back— And trying to watch Bill Cosby stand up, Mm. which is probably the least funny thing that you can possibly (laughs) subject yourself to. Mm -hmm. Like, whether, you know, like, regardless of any context surrounding Mr. Cosby, um, his comedy was always extremely trite, unfunny, uninventive, just schlock. Mm -hmm. But he was extremely influential. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people. Take those those artists like Bill Cosby, Woody Allen, and the people that they influenced look back on them so nostalgically that they can't help but hold them up to this high standard yeah. of perfection. But then when people like you and I, you know, grow up, we mm-hmm. don't have that nostalgic connection with Woody Allen. So we're looking at them purely through the lens of just like our own criticism, you yeah, know? Yeah, definitely. And it doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a lot of Mel Brooks films. Like... I love the producers to death. I think that's hel- one of the funniest movies ever made. I despise Blazing Saddles. I think mm. it's I think it's just a horribly unfunny film. I th- like, And it's the same thing with Woody Allen. I remember years ago I posted a status on Facebook about how much I disliked Woody Allen. <laughs> Within minutes I was unfriended from people. <laughs> and people were like, have you ever seen Manhattan? Yeah. Manhattan's his masterpiece, man. <laughs> and I'm like... Whatever,
1: whatever. I feel mean, like if it, if there are, there are people on your friends list who don't know you dislike Wes Anderson. I feel like this this podcast. Is this is me have just weeding them out. This, this is, is a me just. Like, this, I'm gonna tag
0: anyone on my friends list I think likes them. I'm just gonna weed them all out. <laughs> but yeah, Woody. Oh, Woody. <sighs> We've talked about Woody enough. Do you want to yeah. go
1: on to your next pick?
0: Yes. Yes. Um, this one's gonna give me a lot of crap too. <laughs> so my second pick for overrated and again I I don't think I don't have as negative an opinion on this director as I do Wes Anderson not by a long shot but I do think they fall under the category of overrated and that is Quentin Tarantino Mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino is extremely overrated The, the fact that people can hold him to standards like I don't know, Lynch or hold him to standards <laughs> like Kubrick. Uh-huh. And and I, I I've never understood that. I've I've never watched a Tarantino film and been blown away by it. Mm-hmm. I've been entertained.
1: Yeah. I I, I like yeah.
0: Inglorious Bastards a lot. It's probably my favorite Tarantino film. Mm. Pulp Fiction's great. Django was okay. Yeah. Um, but the problem I have with Tarantino is that he does this thing where he pays homage to a lot of directors that he loves. A lot mm. of Asian directors, a lot of uh, uh, kung fu directors. He he loves that era of filmmaking a lot. A lot of like uh, old samurai films, a lot yeah. of old kung fu films. Westerns as well. Spaghetti westerns and exploitation and all that stuff. <clears throat> what he does is he pulls, sometimes shot for shot, mm-hmm. these these homages to these directors, which I have no problem with. I think that if you want to... Pay homage to a director that inspired you. It's just like a polite wink. But the problem is people will watch those films ignorant of the source yeah. and attribute it to him and say, mm-hmm. uh, Tarantino has a style unlike any other. Uh when when people watch a film, they say it's it's Tarant like what, Tarantino-esque? Yeah. Tarot. yeah. It's Tarantino-esque. Like, Tarantino-esque. I, like, I've, I've seen it written like that a lot. And I don't think that from a director's standpoint, Tarantino deserves that kind of a label. I think mm-hmm. he's a much stronger writer than he is a director. Because yeah, mm-hmm. the thing that always stands out to me in any Tarantino film, and this is true across the board, like what are the most quotable things about Quinn Tarantino's films? Like the, the dialogue, of yeah. course. No one really remembers a lot of... Dazzling shots. They remember mm-hmm. well. There's an exception here and there, like yeah. Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction have their iconic shots for sure. But that opening scene in Inglorious Bastards that's built on the tension of the dialogue. Yeah, um, you know the the Big Mac scene in Pulp Fiction. It's mm-hmm. another beautiful dialogue. He's he's an exceptionally good writer. He relies a little bit too much on homage for his directing style, and mm-hmm. I I think that most people just give him this. Elevated status kind of in the same way they do with Wes Anderson because he's kind of the entry point into more artsy, Mm -hmm. air quotes, artsy cinema.
1: And yeah, I can attest to that because he was – Quentin Tarantino was one of the filmmakers that like when I first got into film like around – early to mid-high high school. He was one of the first ones I gravitated towards. He, I was never, like, obsessed with him. Like, as, as soon as I got into film, I got much more into the Coen brothers than I did, Tarantino. Um, but, yeah, he's he's an entry point. He's kind of, um, like we mentioned with Wes Anderson, he's a lot of people's first um, exposure to a type of um, quality filmmaking that... Um, they're You're not normally exposed to, yeah, you. like mainstream sim, sim cinema doesn't um, always put out, and yeah, I don't really have anything. Um, you said like he, you say how his fans elevate him so much. I don't have anything against calling him like a great filmmaker, but he's a he's elevated to like a level of nearly like godhood. Yeah, very um, godlike fans. Um, again, like which is just i think kind of flies in the face of like what he is as a filmmaker he's um you he said like he, his entire filmmaking style is just homage to and like conglomerations of previous films and um yeah like you've said
0: everything have you ever seen that interview that he did right around like the kill bill era where he's on some like daytime news show and this woman is like grilling him for the violence because yeah. he's mm-hmm. like kids, go get your parents to take you to kill Bill. Like, he's obviously <laughs> just like, he's being Quentin Tarantino. He's just, yeah. you know, messing around. But the, the thing that I, I like about Quentin Tar- Tarantino is in that interview, he's like, yeah, my films have a bunch of blood in them. Like they're just bloody fun movies. Mm-hmm. I like that. I don't mind if you just want to make bloody fun, like balls to the wall movies with mm-hmm. a little bit of like neo-noir elements thrown in there totally fine. You don't need to make mm-hmm. high art. I'm not I'm not always looking for high art. I'm looking at, yeah. you know, that's fine. But I feel like people over-intellectualize his work mm-hmm. so much when I feel like they're kind of just backing themselves into a corner. I don't think he over-intellectualizes his work to that degree. Why would
1: you? I having read um <clears throat> having read um a couple interviews that Tarantino's done, he he might over intellectualize maybe maybe output. in some cases especially um but i think when he refers to his writing as god-given like he's he's gone on record saying the the only reason why he believes in god is because how else would you explain explain why he's such a good writer
0: all right we're gonna have to end the episode there <laughs> um i was unaware of that quote i kind of take back a lot of things i just initially said. Um, no, I'm joking <laughs> that that's a dumb quote, but also I love Kanye. That's something that could have come yeah. out of Kanye's mouth mm-hmm. and I would have been okay with it like mm-hmm. Jesus just rose again.
1: It, Tarantino is like yeah. as much a brand as Wes Anderson or Kanye West like you don't you don't just you don't go to a Tarantino movie to see any other movie you see you go to see a Tarantino movie yeah. and and everything that the, that brings with it.
0: The thing about that is I feel like the brand of Tarantino is much more enjoyable than the mm-hmm. brand of Wes Anderson.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, films like Jackie Brown, I've never really been a fan of. The Kill I Bill like films, I was never crazy about. Mm-hmm. But I get why people like them. They're fun yeah. movies to watch. I just don't understand looking at him in the same way I would look at a film, I'm uh, at a director like Kubrick or Lynch. Yeah, definitely. It's apples and oranges, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I, I, I really just view him as a very artful action director. He makes yeah. he makes like artsy action movies and that's cool, but mm-hmm. if i see like people like Brad Pitt like one more time talking <laughs> about how like Quentin's this creative genius who's changed the world of film, uh, i'm going to throw up. Like i can't i can't hear that one more time. So Dave Clark, if you're listening, i'm sorry, but Quentin Tarantino is like <laughs> he he's overrated. I'm sorry.
1: I can't really disagree even though i am. To a degree, a pretty big fan of Tarantino. Nah, I don't know if I'd say big. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Tarantino, but yeah, he's yeah. not the filmmaker that so many people online will say he is. There's um, a uh,
0: there's a stereotype of film school students <laughs> who have the Pulp Fiction poster on their yep. wall and yeah. they wear the, the black jacket all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I hate those people. <laughs> and it doesn't help with my enjoyment of Tarantino. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's, like, fans ruining something. I understand it's kind of dumb to let a bad fan base ruin something for you, Mm -hmm. but I'm only human. (laughs) It has – it does sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it does.
1: So, yeah, my last pick for Overrated is um, I'm going to combine two filmmakers – until, as as one, they're pick. essentially the same person. Yeah, like you can't really, and like I said, this you can't really separate the two. Like you can't really talk about one without talking about the other, um, and so that would be Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman. Uh, for those who um, are familiar, Spike Jones is dire- the director of films like um, Being John Malkovich adaptation, um, her-, where, her Where the Wild Things Are. And Charlie Kaufman was the writer for um, two of those movies, Being John Malkovich and adaptation. Um, before uh, he worked with Spike Jonze, he worked with Michelle Gondry and made um, a film called Human Nature and another very, and probably one of his most acclaimed films, um, Eternal, Eternal, Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine and The Spotless Mind. And then in the right. past couple of years, past 10 years, I think, really now. About um, He's brand off, and he's becoming kind of he's he's become come to his own as a director, um, as well you're, as a writer. you're referring
0: to Kaufman here now, right? Kaufman, yes. yeah. I just want to be clear.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Kaufman's directed Synecdoche, New York in 2008, and *Anomalisa* in 2015.
0: Okay, I agree that actually I don't agree that Charlie. Co- I mm-hmm. Spike Jones is overrated. I mm-hmm. will agree with you there. Charlie Kaufman, I do not think is overrated. Uh, and
1: I'm going to let you finish, though. In as much as that, um, again, we kind of talk about fandom a lot, and how you were you were talking earlier about how Wes Anderson, like, he has this cult following, which is very much a cult. Like, he has such a cult of personality around him. I think Charlie Kaufman, to to a lesser degree, um, by association, Spike Jones, because people so often like clump the two together as one filmmaking entity has a very similar um fan base not as violent not as um like fervent (laughs) as wes anderson and tarantino but charlie kaufman has kind of been short is shorthand for um quirky intellectual um intellectualism in this in cinema in the same way that Wes Anderson and even Woody Allen was in the past not that not that Hard you're shaking you're shaking your head not that i'm comparing those two in any other way other than that people people say like think Charlie Kaufman is literally the second coming of Christ yeah. when it comes to film because his films have the outward appearance of being so intelligent but damn, Mitch is very going in. surface level. Yeah, I'm going in. Oh, I'm going in right. on, unlike Charlie Kaufman has right. ever in any, in any film he's directing. literally
0: the dumbest thing you've ever said <laughs> on this show, like bar none. Mm. Um, I, I love Mitch. OK, I got to unpack that. So mm-hmm. Spike Jones, we can both agree. Whatever mm-hmm. he if he didn't have the scripts of Kaufman's, he wouldn't really have anything in my opinion. Uh, there's yeah. nothing about his directing style that's really mm-hmm. prominent, nothing too distinct. Mm. He's competent. He knows what to do, but yeah. he doesn't have, like, a distinct style of his own. Kaufman, I think, does, and mm. I don't think that you can really argue that a film like Adaptation is surface level, and I don't think you can argue a film like Synecdoche, New York the surface level, I
1: can with *Snatch* New York. I very really? much can. His older films, *Spike Jones*, I have a bit more affection for, and like *Eternal Sunshine* and *Spotless Mind* with Michelle Gondry. Like, I, I, very much enjoy. Like, as a writer, like I, I really don't have like too, too many problems with him. It's when I'm talking about like why I don't like or like. Things I don't like about Charlie Kaufman. I'm s- mostly talking about Synecdoche, New York and Anomalisa, like the two films he's had um, completely under his own wing.
0: I'll, I'll agree with you. I was extremely disappointed in Anomalisa because mm-hmm. I love Synec- Synecdoche, New York.
1: I've tried to love it, Synecdoche, New York. I don't,
0: I don't begrudge you for not liking it. It's not a movie that is approachable. Mm-hmm. It, it It's by design a very, like, antagonistically structured film. And the first time I watched it, I was a little bit kind of unimpressed. But I think that the more that I've rewatched the film, the more I've kind of sat with it. Um, I, I agree Kaufman's a stronger writer than director.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think anyone can argue that. And I think he kind of knows that deep down. Mm-hmm. And with Anomalisa, like, man, what a train wreck of a movie. (laughs) Like, I I was so excited for that movie. Mm -hmm. And when I heard it was going to have puppets in it, I was immediately (laughs) like, why? Why are you going the puppet route? And then I see the movie thinking, all right, it's a puppet movie. I'm going to try to give it a shot anyway, because there's no reason for it to have puppets in it, really. I know I've watched reviews and read analyses of why there's puppets and there's this deep... Blah, 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 blah. just you gotta, like you got to be it's, quirky there is there is Kaufman does have a cult uh-huh. I will agree he does have a cult of people that will blow smoke up his ass no matter what he writes I will agree with you there he's he when he's on he's on and I think that mm-hmm. he's on on Synecdoche I think that that is a I think that's one of the best films of the 2000s
1: I've heard that a lot I don't I don't hate the movie. I don't, even though I dislike it. It's it's a lecture more than it's a movie. Where people talk about how, how many layers there is to it. The the film explains to you all of its own layers. Like um, we met, we name drop a lot. Uh, YMS, Am Johnson, Your Movie Sucks the YouTuber. He has like a two thousand part video <laughs> analysis. He has as many parts to this video, this long form video analysis that he's doing to, to significant in New York as Woody Allen has films. But it's like everything that he points out in the movie is pointed out in the movie by the movie itself. Like all of its deeper layers, all of its deeper aspirations of um, commentary on the human condition. It's it's a it's it's gone past um, the point of being a movie to talk about, and more just the movie talks about itself endlessly.
0: Okay, there there's a review out there of the film, I can't remember exactly where the review came from, but the, the quote is like imprinted on my head <clears throat> where someone, they hated the film and they said, uh, a film with this deep of a level of uh, self-introspection uh, is in artistry, it's psychosis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's a really crappy thing to say uh, because I I I think Kaufman is a very sincerely depressed person. I think he's a very mm-hmm. sincerely conflicted person and a very sincerely sad person. And I think that with Synecdoche, it's him throwing everything that he has onto paper. That's why Mm -hmm. I give that film a pass because I feel like the performance of Hoffman, Philip Seymour Hoffman, RIP, Mm -hmm. um, is so connected to who Charlie is as a human being uh, to the point where I feel like I'm, I'm not watching a film about anything else but charlie kaufman kind of excavating who he is and what he's going to be when he's gone and to me that's something that i think about a lot and there's a lot of themes in the film that i really really relate to like themes of transgenderism there's a lot of themes of identity of family of your legacy and what you're going to leave behind of um struggling for your art only to have it kind of um ignored and the people around you who are not as sincere as you are getting that that credit that you wish you had. So those those themes of like male entitlement, I think there's a lot in the film that is great, but I understand why people hate it because my girlfriend hates it. <laughs> and I, I I get it. It's mm. an easy film to hate. It's a bit pretentious. I will agree a bit. It's a J- bit pretentious just a bit. It's not as pretentious as like Fellini or something it's not eight and a half, all right. <laughs> But um, I, I've seen just because something is like really arty or really uh, convoluted or complex doesn't necessarily mean it's pretentious. Mm-hmm. It, it just pretentious just means that you're you're BSing mm-hmm. your your depth. And I don't I think that Charlie does have that depth to him.
1: Looking at it the way that you described as kind of just Charlie Kaufman um, making Charlie Kaufman the movie, I can see. I can I can appreciate it from that from that angle yeah but I can't from like any as a film as a piece of art yeah that, i i, that's
0: I fair. can't that's fair. and like
1: I and I can because he puts so many themes into it i can, I can relate to some of them but it's just write an essay <laughs> <laughs> don't make a film why not and he's, he's he, when he's on like you said before which i think adaptation like is a great film. Okay, there we go. Great film. All right. uh, Eternal Sunshine, great film. There we go. Sniff Q New York. Good idea, a good lecture, a good starting point for further analysis, further discussions. Not a great film.
0: An Anomalisa?
1: No. Crap. Yeah. Same.
0: <laughs> okay. So... We've gotten all the negativity out of our system. If you're still if you haven't turned off the episode yet, now we're gonna talk about directors that we really like yeah. that we think are underrated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm gonna start. Okay. This is gonna be no surprise <laughs> to anyone who knows me who's watched this was listened to the show for the about what, six months that we've been doing this? Yeah. yeah. I think it's about wow. six months now. Harmony Korine is the most underrated <laughs> filmmaker. Of this time period. Not only underrated filmmaker, underrated artist. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he's so underrated is because people think he's a Charlie Kaufman. And he's mm-hmm. not. <laughs> he's... People People look at a director like Harmony Korine, and they think that he is this person that is like sitting in those stereotypical director's chairs resting his chin on his finger and he has a beret <laughs> on and a scarf and he's... You know, reading like Foucault or something—that's not who he is. The dude is an uh, exhibitionist of a filmmaker. Mm. You know, he's—he's. He's, someone called him a, pretent- a pretentious John Waters, and I don't think you could get any more pretentious than John Waters. But <laughs> whatever. But Harmony Corrine is a artist of garbage. He's an artist of trash. He essentially mm. is an absurdist who is throwing things at the wind goes with his impulse and he he calls himself a mistakist mm. he likes the idea of his films being these kinds of imperfect collages of whatever he wants um have you have you ever seen Gummo or any, any of his films I've seen Spring Breakers wow the the, okay. the basic um, bitch the Harmony Clear movie <laughs> that, that's but, actually one of his like greatest movies I think mm. it, 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 it's fantastic um but the reason why i think he's so underrated is that there's literally no one else that makes films like harmony cream no one on this planet he doesn't get the awards he deserves he doesn't get the recognition the money the the respect all of it and he's he's been a visual artist he's been a writer he's been a painter He's been a notorious guest on David Letterman, where he <laughs> got into a fight with Meryl Streep. He's um, he's friends with David Blaine. <laughs> I mean, we talked about fight harm. Yeah. I remember a long mm-hmm. time ago. This is not a dude who is looking for an intellectual crowd to intellectually dissect his films. Mm-hmm. He's making films for the absurd. And whenever people watch his films, there's a stereotype that people are sitting around with their notepads like, oh, this means this, this means mm-hmm. this. Here's this symbolism. Here's this social commentary. And the complete opposite is true. If you ever watch a Harmony Kareen film with other people or if you watch it in a theater, people are laughing out of discomfort. Mm-hmm. It, it's It's a spectacle. And he likes that. So I could talk all day about... Harmony Korine and how much of a genius I think he is, because I really do, and I don't use that term a lot, I wholeheartedly think he's a genius of a filmmaker, a genius of an artist, like my biggest inspiration by far, and it it pains me, it pains me that I'll mention him to my film professors, and they're like, who? <laughs> like, who, who really? are we talking? Kevin Korb, I did mention him to my BCA 101 professor, and he, I was like, hey, do you like Harmony Kareem? He's like, Ugh. It's like, I can't go that far. Like, that's too much for me. And I'm like, that is fair. There, there's a scene in Gummo, just, just for context, if you have no idea who Harmony Karina is, he's a pretty young filmmaker. Um, his, his, you know, Calling Cars is 1997 film Gummo. One of the greatest scenes in the movie is the scene where a bunch of drunk people Um, In Ohio, that's the film centers on this kind of white trash town in Ohio that was hit by a tornado and it never really socially or economically recovered. Mm. And it kind of follows the day to day life of a bunch of glue sniffing white trash in Ohio. And there's a scene where a bunch of people are drunk in a in their house and one of them shirtlessly starts wrestling a chair and the people in the room are like, kick that chair's ass. Kick that chair's ass. Beat that chair. And he does. He kicks the crap out of that chair. <laughs> and it's like one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> and I'm just going to leave it at that. Harmony Kareem's a genius. Crit- critically underrated.
1: I've, I've, I've wanted to like um, see more Harmony Kareem films. I haven't. I have every one. I have books. I can give you anything, <laughs> anything you need. Anything you
0: need. So, what what what's your first uh, under? My
1: first again, like you said, um, anybody who anybody who knows you knows this. Anybody who's probably like listened to this, been listening to this podcast. I've mentioned this before. Uh, Jeremy Solnier. Okay, he's only directed. He's directed three feature films. Um, one I haven't seen, unfortunately, Murder Party. But he directed blue ruin and green room um more recently Blue ruin i think in 2013 and green room in 2016 yeah it was one of antony elchin's last movies um yeah i've mentioned before he is i don't even really know like what what to compare him to he's i don't know he's 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 just so dreamy he's he's so
0: great um (laughs) That, that that that's the sign of a good filmmaker. Like you just mm-hmm. you have a really hard time describing what makes them so mm-hmm. great. But it's just when you watch the film, it just it affects you. You know.
1: Yeah. Um. I guess maybe if I'm like to venture, maybe he's a David Lynch Ian kind of director of uh, violence. Because um, green rooms are pretty violent Green Room is an extremely violent movie and Blue Ruin which might just be easier if I just like talk about his movies and like why I like his movies. Blue Ruin is the tale of, uh, it's a re- revenge movie that hates revenge movies. It's about um, uh, this kind of just average like completely unremarkable man um, played by Macon Blair, a, a very frequent frequent uh, collaborator with Jamie Sonner. I think they like went to, went to school together. Like they're in, they're in each of each other's, like every movie, um, plays this man who, whose family was kind of, his father and his mother were killed by this redneck mafia, basically. And the entire film is just him trying to be, um, uh, like, like somebody from like Taken or all these, and this came out kind of in the prime period of filmmaking like after taken where like every movie is trying to be taken it's just it's again it just kind of subverts and deconstructs everything about the revenge movies um movie genre like everything that this man tries to do um turns out wrong like he Mm. he his like his first um i can't i can't really say without like, describing it de- scene by scene detail by detail but like his first like kill that he does in the very early in the movie is is it's so botched it's almost comical and it's not he doesn't really make he comical movies but his I think people have called his um mo- call his movies like um like the idiot trilogy or the movies he's made cause they're all about um people who think themselves as so like high and mighty so like competent what they do when they're very much not and blue room is kind of the biggest testament to that it's, it's it's it would be just like if the average person tried to be a Liam Neeson or like this character who, um uh, somebody in a revenge movie yeah yeah
0: <clears throat> i saw a bit of green room mm-hmm. um I'd like to rewatch it honestly because I didn't really like give it a good shot first time mm-hmm. I watched it, but I would like to re-see that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But um, sorry, is that is that good for you? Yeah. Okay. Yep. My second underrated. I just had like a change of heart. The last at the last second, mm-hmm. I was going to mention uh, Todd Salons as my mm-hmm. my second pick, but I got to go with my boy Rick Alverson. Rick Alverson. Okay. <laughs> um, is the director of my favorite film of all time the comedy? Starring Tim Heidecker. Um, Rick Alverson has a style completely all his own, in my opinion. Um, He is... He creates a lot of very, very plaintive character studies. But um, recently, his two most recent films, The Comedy and uh, 2015's Entertainment, Mm -hmm. are really, really kind of absurd dark comedies. Kind of questioning every social norm that we have. And the thing that makes this film so enjoyable for me is that you never know where they're going and you you haven't seen fil- uh, scenes like that on paper before. In um, the comedy, there are so many scenes in that movie. It's like one just iconic scene after another where I've never seen anything else like it in a film because the whole film is just um, Tim Heidecker, the lead, being this really kind of cynical hipster jerk who's morbidly depressed with his life of riches basically being a social anarchist mm. and seeing what he can get away with in the real world. And he doesn't do anything like, you know, depraved. He's he's like a troll. He's like this this cynical troll who just treats everyone like this uh social experiment to see how they react to him. Okay. And The reason why I love the film so much is just like it points to the emptiness of a lot of cynicism Mm -hmm. which is a really big deal to me because I I can be a pretty cynical person at times (laughs) and it makes me kind of reflect on myself and make me think about you know maybe maybe I I can augment my behavior or augment how I view things and maybe I should view things in a more sincere light or be a more sincere person okay but um I I can't recommend Rick Alverson's filmography enough um the comedy entertainment new jerusalem and the builder um all of his films are great every single one is very easy to find on like amazon uh entertainments on netflix Mm -hmm. i would recommend just going into everyone blind and just enjoying them they're films that you can really just kind of sit with and dwell with which i really really enjoy a lot and i thought it would be. Kind of a fun idea. After you do your second one, do a couple honorable mentions because okay. I, I have mm. a couple rocking around my brain. Right. So mm. Rick Alverson's
1: my second uh, mm. underrated pick. Right. Okay. Um, my second and last uh, like official one will be Bong Joon Ho. Um, it's a bit odd calling him like underrated because he is um, he does have um, quite a bit of a claim behind him. Um, he's a director. The most recent one one of the movies from last year, um, Oakja uh netflix original movie um got in in like like some of those movies like they do have their own cult following like snow was another one he directed the host um uh, uh south korean monster movie he, and he's directed very um, good movie those are kind of his more like tentpole like mainstream movies but he's also directed um one of my favorite what murder mystery is called Memories of Murder um, in the early two thousands. He's directed a move uh, move called Mother and Barking Dogs Never Bite. Which those two I haven't seen yet. Um, and if you haven't, he's a South Korean filmmaker. Yeah. Um, so I haven't had opportunity to see those yet. But in the in the same way that you said, um, um, Tarantino is like a um, is. The, the An action filmmaker, like, taken to a next level. I think Bong Joon-ho is, like, the best possible, I think, um, action filmmaker, the best possible. Um, and when you look at, like, films like Okja, Snowpiercer, The Host, um, they're really unlike anything else, like, in mainstream cinema, Like cinema in general, there's this, like his level of sincerity and like expert characterization, one of my favorite film critics, um, David Ehrlich, in his review of Okja said um, no real real filmmaker um, imbues so much characterization and um, yeah, characterization into even the most minor characters like Bong Joon-ho does, and you can see that in Okja, like there are characters who have scenes that are seconds long but like you can they're very memorable um, and yeah
0: nice so let's go through a couple of our honorable mentions real quick I wrote a couple down for me mm-hmm. um, for overrated uh, honorable mention gotta give it my boy Edgar Wright I I love Edgar for Wright for every reason uh, <laughs> that I said for Wes Anderson it basically applies mm. to, to eh, 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 yeah alright
1: Mm. that's my my response Mm.
0: we'll fight later and then uh, I gotta say like David Fincher another really
1: overrated guy with Fincher I think again like we've mentioned a couple times it's the fandom like there's people that like nerd writer and all of these video Mm -hmm. essayists
0: on YouTube that think (laughs) he's like a genius the only David Fincher movie I can even stomach anymore is Social Network you
1: ever seen Zodiac? yes
0: (sighs) Uh, mm. yeah, that's how I feel about Fight Club. Like, do I, do I ever need to watch Fight Club again? No.
1: I I really like David Fincher. Like, I I don't know if he's quite the greatest filmmaker ever made ever made. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ever created that Charlie our god Charlie Kaufman has ever created. <laughs> but yeah, I, re, I really do appreciate him. Same with Edgar
0: Wright. So and uh, underrated. I got it. Say uh, Vincent Gallo, I would have mentioned him proper in the actual episode, but uh, he's only made two films and he's, he's you know, he's given up as a filmmaker. He's, he's retired. So Vincent Gallo has made one of my favorite movies, Buffalo 66, The Brown Bunny is really good. Um, great actor, great director, real handsome guy, real, <laughs> real handsome guy. And uh, Todd Salons, Welcome mm-hmm. to the Dollhouse, Happiness. Um, Wiener Dog, which I mentioned in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Life During Wartime. Dark Horse. Dark Horse is like one of the most just depressing movies ever. Um, it's great. Mm-hmm. Todd Salons.
1: What about Todd Salons? Like for the people who, who – um, He's
0: – I think he's one of the expert uh, uh, satirists of our time. Okay. Uh, he does dark comedy and black comedy. Like It's pitch black. Like, there's no sunlight in his comedy, but it's it's uncomfortably really funny. He's a really, really good writer, too. He writes a majority of his films. And, I mean, if you want to see his best writing today, you need to watch Happiness. That That's his okay. best writing today.
1: Um, Kind of the runner-up to Bong Joon-ho that I was going to say for my underrated it was uh, Denis um, the Um Villeneuve. He, he's been very—he's been— pretty prolific in the past um, couple years I think um, starting 2013 he's had a mainstream um, mainstream a successful acclaimed movie like every year in 2013 it was prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman 2014 it was enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal I love
0: enemy that's a great Um,
1: movie Sicario in 2015 Arrival in 2016, and my favorite movie of last year, Blade Runner 2049. He has a very strong career. Yeah, and he's. I think currently he's working on uh, adaptation of the Dune book, which was adapted to a movie by David Lynch.
0: Are you really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow, that that could actually be really good or really bad.
1: I would say it's going to be really good because probably Denis Villeneuve. I think. Given a couple more years, will probably be be, be mentioned. Um, maybe not to the level of like Scorsese or Kubrick, but as one of the premier filmmakers of um, this era for of filmmaking we're in right now, he's, um, yeah, he's he's, yeah. Just just because you mention
0: it, we can probably include Kubrick as overrated too.
1: Kubrick, like, yeah. We got to be honest, and I think to a degree any filmmaker who is greatly acc- acclaimed can be seen, of, seen as as overrated when you especially because the film fandom elevates so many artists to like we mentioned of Tarantino like Godhood and like like artistic Hitchcock, gen- Hitchcock like artistic geniuses yeah. when um, I think is kind of not the best lens to look at like any artist um. Except for Harmony Kareem No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Except I'm for, joking. Har- except for <clears throat> um. <clears throat> yeah, I was second pick. Second pick. I. I, I couldn't really come up with. that yeah, I mean that picks. that's fine
0: too. We we've mm-hmm. talked about like so many people today. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so we're not saying that like anyone's bad here, except for Wes Anderson. <laughs> so like you know, it's and just her opinion. Woody and Woody Allen, those two like they're, yeah forget about him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, hopefully Please. you can at least watch these films for yourself. Tell mm-hmm. us how right or wrong we are. You know, uh, we're, we're not, you know, speaking gospel here. This is all just our opinion, of course, mm-hmm. but, um, we are correct, of course. <laughs> but, uh, this has been moving pictures. Uh, I've been your host, Mark Gunn. This has been Mitchell Kakalka. Thank you for listening.